0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. So this morning we are wrapping up our series through the Gospel of Luke. If you're joining us for the first time uh, or you need a refresher, we've been in the Gospel of Luke essentially since Christmas, since Advent. We started kind of with a mini Advent series. We started of the beginning of the Gospel of Luke and then kind of carried over into the this, this second theme of the path to glory, and so everything we've been kind of talking about through through this series and trying to take more of a broad strokes look at the Gospel of Luke is is the idea that Jesus set out on a path to glory, and the the path of glory that Jesus set out on, we should one pay attention to and two realize that it is also our path, and so. I, I think one thing to, to consider is the way that the Luke starts his gospel, if you remember, he's writing to Theophilus. He says, I've written this to you so that you would believe. All of these things, I've taken account of this story and all these things that Christ has done and has accomplished so that you would have confidence that the story is true. And so this morning, I kind of want to un- unpack our theme a little bit and kind of bring it all together. And so my the one thing I want us to take away today is this, that the path to glory is the modeling of Jesus' life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The path to glory is the modeling of Jesus' life by the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So the question we're kind of asking today in light of that, if that's kind of what this series has been trying to show us, if that's what Luke is trying to for his audience to, to grasp onto and to believe that Jesus' life is a life worth worth following. How does this particular passage as we end his gospel point to that truth? What does it look like? So I kind of have three things I want to walk through. I think the passage is kind of unfolding. And first one is that shows us that we need to deal with our doubts, that we need to embrace Jesus' example then we need to rely on the Spirit. If we're going to walk the path of glory that is the modeling of Jesus' life by the power of the Spirit, then we need to deal with our doubts, embrace that example, and rely on the Spirit. So let's unpack that together this morning. And let me pray before we jump into those first couple of verses. Jesus, it's not lost on me this morning that that I am here and that we are here not according to our own works or our own righteousness or goodness, but because you are gracious to us and you're patient with us and you have a purpose for your church. Your spirit has brought us together. Jesus, I'm thankful for that, that your spirit is stronger than our own wills. I pray this morning as we look at this passage as we look at some of your last words to your disciples on earth before you left and before you will return again. Jesus, I pray that we would see these with these words with with fresh eyes, with hearts that are willing to hear, spirit that you would do the work that you would go before me, go before us. And, and showing us what it is that you are wanting to reveal to us this morning. So, Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's look at those first couple of verses. So it starts. the story starts by saying, as they were talking about these things, so as in context, talking about what had just happened with the, the crucifixion. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And honestly, I feel like every time I've read this, it's been kind of funny. Like, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but I laugh. Like, I think it's kind of hilarious because I just, like, for some reason, I enjoy slapstick humor. So I just, when I read this passage, I just imagine that they're, like, sitting around the table talking And Jesus just kind of, like, materializes slowly. Like, next to him is like, peace to you. Like, maybe that's kind of silly. I don't know. But in my mind, it kind of helps me see Jesus as, or God as someone that has a bit of a sense of humor. Like, this is going to, like, thinking to himself, like, this is going to be pretty funny. Like, I'm going to, like, show up. You know, obviously they were laughing. (laughs) They were frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Which, you know to be fair, if someone materialized into a room without using the door right now, I would probably be freaked out. But he says to them, he says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit, which you think I am, does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. I know it's funny to think about, or you know, at least I think it's funny. to think about Jesus as just kind of appearing and saying peace to you as if it's no big deal. But when you dig down into this and you, you think about his intentionality here, it's such a beautiful picture of Jesus. That Jesus has all the power in the universe, all the power that the Father has, Jesus has. He is a totally resurrected and restored body and he chose to keep his scars he didn't have to (laughs) he could have resurrected and said look I'm healed the cross you know I've been healed from those wounds but he kept them and he didn't have to and I think it points to the heart of Jesus that simple truth. That Jesus is sympathetic towards us. He's sympathetic towards our doubts. See, I don't think Jesus keeping his scars had any benefit towards him. He didn't need a reminder of the cross or himself. But he knew that we did. And as we see, he goes on to... And later in the passage to remind them of of his work of the cross and what he accomplished he's going to tell them with his words remember the words like I told you this was going to happen right but Jesus is kind and he's patient and he's gracious with us and he knows that we needed to see his scars to see his hands and his feet he's sympathetic towards us our doubts. And it says in, in verse 41, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, which, yum, I guess. <laughs> Give me a snarf burger. And he took it and he ate it before them. Have you ever been in a moment that you Know is real, but you can't fully grasp it. Like, you know that feeling of like that, like outer body almost experience of a moment. Like for me, I think about my wedding day, there was this moment of like pure joy and all these people came to celebrate us in our marriage and it went by super fast, which everyone always says, and it does. And I remember like getting into the car and driving away from the reception and like, that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, I'm like married, this is my wife sitting next to me we're like spending the rest of our lives together like uh, the huge thing that we like spent all this time preparing for and planning and like hoping for like it, it happened and it's done and I just remember that feeling of like oh I was like not grasping that like when like even just like walking back down the aisle after the words you know were said and or like the reception when the people are coming up and congratulating and the like massive dance party we had like all those things like some Somehow, like, in the moment, weren't enough for me to grasp the reality of that until I was driving away. Or I think about, you know, the days my kids were born where it's, like, you know, you literally spend nine months, like, waiting for a kid. Or, you know, eight months in, like, a week, if you're Mava. <laughs> that one was fun. Uh, but, yeah, like, you, you're waiting for this thing, and then it happens, and you're, like, I, I knew this was going to happen, but I can't believe it's happening right now. You know, like, those are some, like, really big, obvious ones, but they could, you know... I'm sure you guys have other examples, too. You know, or I think about, like, any time I've actually managed to hook a trout and I'm fishing with coal. That's like I have like, I know people who do this, but you actually hook one. But I think he, what I'm trying to say is that that's kind of where the disciples are at right now. It says that they disbelieved for joy kind of in a sense like I'm really happy to see my friend Jesus like I thought he was dead but also like how are you here like I'm not understanding like how this is happening right now like I thought you were a spirit but I was able to touch you and like watched you eat a broiled fish so you must be physical essentially they were blinded by joy Like I said, ecstatic that their friend was there with them. But I don't think they were totally convinced yet that he wasn't a spirit. And so he ate with them. And I want to ask, what are we meant to learn about all that, about this story that's kind of unfolding, this situation? And, you know, maybe a better question for today is, what does this have to do with the path to glory that we've been talking about these last several months? See, Jesus is about to remind them of his words and the necessity of the things that that took place. But, like I said, he starts by being sympathetic towards their doubts and helping them, actively helping them to deal with those doubts by graciously removing them. Everything he's doing in this moment, whether or not how much they are grasping it at the time, is to help remove their doubt. That what he said was going to happen, happened. And he truly is resurrected. And the power of sin and death and shame is defeated. And I think for us, what it means for us is that if we're going to take Jesus at his word, if we're going to walk the path to glory with him, we need to deal with our doubts ourselves. Remember, like I said, the opening of Luke, he wrote this gospel, so what? So they would believe. Luke is in the business of helping the church remove their doubts about who Jesus is. I think that's why he took special attention to write this down. So I think for us it's hard to believe that the path to glory, the life of Jesus, is good. If our hearts and our minds are plagued with doubt, that Jesus is kind enough to be with us in that and to walk us through that. So Jesus shows us how to deal with those doubts by turning towards belief. So he says this in, in verse 44. So after they've kind of shaken the dust off the surprise, he then said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Which all of that is a fancy way of saying the Old Testament. Because, <laughs> you know, there wasn't a New Testament yet. But he's basically saying all of scripture, and Cole talked about this last week, All of scripture, the law of Moses, the prophets, everything the prophets said, everything that's written in the Psalms, all of it is pointing towards me, towards my life. I think the, the point I'm trying to make is this, that if we want to deal with our doubts, we need to take Jesus at his words. I say that again. If we want to deal, if you want to deal with your doubts and your faith, about who Jesus is, what he's capable of. And you need to take him at his word. See what happens next. Verse 45, it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it's written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So he says opens their minds. It's just kind of another way of saying teaching. Although it's not to say that there wasn't, you know, a supernatural element taking place of the spirit helping them (laughs) to retain that knowledge or understand it, grasp it more fully. But this is kind of the same thing that happened last week when we talked about the, the road to Emmaus where Jesus shows up with these other two disciples and you know, says he explains all of Scripture to them about how it's about him. That's kind of what he's doing here. He's doing the same thing, but with his disciples. He's showing them, he's teaching them all these things about Scripture pointing towards him. I think what we should pay attention to when we see that pattern of how he talks to disciples at Emmaus, how he's talking to the disciples here in this room now, is that I think Jesus wants us to get something about the purpose of our Bibles, right? There's something he's trying to help us understand about scripture's purpose and the way that he opens their minds in these scenarios. I think the truth is there's a lot of ways that we tend to use our Bible. Um, Not all of them are good, obviously. I think a lot of us uh, tend to use our Bibles as a rule book. We say, like, if I just do the right things, right, if I can, like, figure out this text that, like, gives me the, like, the next thing that I need to do right, like, then I'll be right with God. Or at least, like, right in other people's eyes. Um, Or it could be, you know, like... When we we kind of talked about this a little bit at Soma School like way back when, but I think one of the references they said is like people use the Bible as like a cross stitch generator, <laughs> where it's like you know like the pillows at your grandma's house. It's like have these like the pithy verses that, like everybody knows, but like are totally out of context. Which nothing wrong with having scripture in your house on display, but I think sometimes we kind of treat the Bible as like a part of its purpose is to like give us like pithy quotes to or like. Singular like mottos to live our life by, and kind of omitting like the rest of scripture, or even like the like smaller context that that verse is in. Um, you know, there's, I you know, I think sometimes we use the Bible as a bludgeon, <laughs> use it as a weapon, or at least to distance ourselves maybe from a culture that is more hostile to our our point of view. Um, there's, like I said, there's lots of ways we use our Bible. I think Jesus is trying to to show his disciples and and therefore us uh, a better way to think of our Bibles, to use our Bibles, to use scripture. And I think what Jesus is trying to help us understand here and for them is to see the Bible as a means of grace towards us that the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is a giant, beautiful revelation about who God is, about who he is, and who we are meant to be in light of that. Everything points to that. Jesus is going out of his way to demonstrate that as he opens the scriptures to him the chief end of the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms, and everything that comes next is him. That Jesus, the Christ, had to die and defeat death for our sakes. I wonder what would change about how we use our Bibles if that's how we read it. If we chose to be intentional about seeing all the scripture, even the stories that don't make sense right away. You know, there's a lot of that in the OT. (laughs) Of, as a, a means to reveal who God is, most perfectly seen in who Christ is in his life and how he lived. So what is all this saying about the path to glory? think, like I said earlier, Jesus is kind of simultaneously describing his own path that he took, suffering. He says that I should, Christ, should suffer and not third day rise from the dead. He's simultaneously describing his own path and the path that anyone who believes in him would take. And I've I want to point that out because I think that's where our doubt starts to creep in. And not revelation. It's hard to believe that suffering leads to glory. You know, even like, some of you know this, most of you know this. Ellis is not the best sleeper in the world. Our newest kid. And he is eight months old now and most of the time by eight months old, they are sleeping. (laughs) I mean, obviously, you know, it's a give and take. Not every every kid is different, but generally they sleep, most kids sleep more than he does. And, you know, even on the way here this morning, Sarah was saying, I know that this is a season. Like I know that like what's happening right now and like where he's at won't last forever. But it still feels like a lot. And I imagine that there are things in your lives that kind of feel the same way. It may not be like a kid who refuses to sleep, but it's something. There isn't a person here who has been unscathed by some kind of suffering, even if it, whether it is, you know, you may classify it as trivial or significant. Like The point is not to measure our suffering against other people's suffering. It's to acknowledge that it's real, it exists, and it kind of sucks. And I think that's where our doubt creeps in. We're talking about the path to glory. That it's hard to imagine that, you know, the the thing that's happening right now, the suffering that we're taking place in, or suffering that has happened that you're still trying to categorize or understand the why behind. That things like that could lead to anything good. And Jesus knows that. He's not unaware of that. But he's asking us, he's asking the disciples to embrace his life. To embrace his example. His example of suffering leading to glory. That death somehow leads to life. I know this seems crazy and upside down. Because usually, you know, especially in our culture, we would say, thank you for, I think you said suffering. I think you meant success, right? The other S word. (laughs) But like that is what leads to glory. If I do enough things and I like do them in the right order, that's like what leads to glory. That's not Jesus' example. You know, he literally says... Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 14, he says, and you guys probably know this verse, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Like, there's no way around that. (laughs) There's no loophole. It's like, can I have someone else carry my cross because like like wasn't it like didn't you do that for like a little bit Jesus <laughs> this is, like, a, there's a guy named Simon in there somewhere <laughs> whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple if we are not willing to walk the path that Jesus walked then we're not actually willing to be his disciple. It's as simple as that. Does that mean that our our suffering has to be equal to being publicly humiliated and beaten beyond human recognition and nailed to a cross? Most of us probably not. That's probably not going to happen. But I think it's, you know, the spirit of that example. So I kind of want to talk about how do we boil that down? What does it look like to embrace Jesus' example? We could say that, you know, to walk the path of glory and embrace example is that just boils down to, well, we just need to suffer. Like, we know that it's unavoidable, but we, like, we need to find more ways to suffer. (laughs) And I would say to an extent it's true, like, we do need not look, sorry, we don't need to look for ways to suffer. It's, it's true to extend the fact that like we will suffer. If we're not suffering for being Christian particularly, like we're gonna suffer because that is like the human experience and fallen world. Amen. Parent, parents, can I get amen? Uh, but um, also being a Christian, Christ tells us that those who follow him will suffer because the world will hate us as it hated him. It's unavoidable. So we could talk about how the path of glory is essentially like, you're going to suffer, you need to accept that as God's will, and once you accept that, then like, you'll be led to glory. And I would say, maybe that's part of it. I think part of the Christian life is embracing God's will in your life, whether that is stuff that is hard (laughs) Or things that are easier to take joy in? But the truth is Jesus took joy in the cross. You know, Philippians 2 says that he looked towards that as, as joy, his joy. But I don't think that's the most holistic way to think about this. I don't think the path to glory is just suffering. Because Christ didn't just suffer. There are other things going on in his life. <laughs> other than just, he wasn't a masochist. I think a more holistic way to look at this is to answer that question by looking at the core posture behind who Jesus is, what he did. Because if what he's trying to say about about Scripture is that all of Scripture is pointing to who I am, what I came to do, and what I've achieved. If all of Scripture is pointing to who God is and who we are in light of who that God is, then I think Maybe a more holistic way to look at what is the path of glory? How do I embrace Christ's example? Is to look at who he is, not just his suffering, but holistically, behind everything that Christ did, everything he said, every person he interacted with, what was the core thing behind that? And if I could boil it down to one word, which, you know, is maybe... that's a a hard task (laughs) to boil down Christ into a word the one that comes to my mind is humility that the core posture behind who Jesus is and everything that he did in his time on earth is humility that literally everything that Jesus did was for his father and for us behind every word Every deed of Jesus from his advent, where we started in Luke, to his his teachings, to his parables, to his crucifixion, was an act of obedience towards the Father and an act of service towards you and me. But guys, that's really hard. That's a very hard example. Those are really hard shoes to fill. So how are we supposed to come close to being anything like Jesus? And I think that's where we need to rely on the Spirit. And Jesus says this in verse 49. He says, behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus knows we can't measure up. He's not unaware. It's kind of the point, (laughs) the point of him doing what he did. He tells the disciples he's sending the promise of his Father. Another way we could say that is he's sending his presence, he's sending the Spirit. And we see that later in Luke's second book in Acts where the Spirit comes upon them and fills the room. I think it's an interesting point that he actually he instructs them. He's basically saying, he's like, stay in the city until you're clothed with power. In other words, like, don't go from here and start this ministry of Repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations. Like, don't go preach my gospel until you are clothed with power on high, from on high. Saying, don't go before the Spirit. Go behind the Spirit. So the truth is, we need to rely on the Spirit. One, for assurance. Assurance. Assurance in our doubts that the Spirit is actually capable of changing our posture, of turning our doubts into belief, and that we need Him for that. That we need the Spirit to open our minds to understand scriptures if we are going to embrace Jesus' life, His example as a path to glory. So I think there are some kind of practical things if we, you know, because we could say, okay, like, yeah, that makes sense. Rely on the Spirit. Go rely on the Spirit. Like, okay, what does that that mean? I just like sit with my like hands open until like tongues of fire, like over my head. Like, what does that look like? That could happen. You can do what he wants. But I think we start with You know, kind of what Jesus is saying about their ministry. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That we need the Spirit to open our hearts towards repentance. That if you're going to deal with your doubts, you have to be honest with your doubts. You need to be honest about them. Where are you not believing on Jesus? What he said about who he is and what he's done and, and who you are. I think the other thing, you know, if we want to rely on the Spirit more in this is to ask Jesus, ask the Spirit to open your mind, to understand the Scripture. That's what He wants to do. He's given us His Word so that we could know Him. Spirit, the Spirit is a comforter, but He's also a teacher. So I think, yeah, you know, it's one thing to read your Bible just to read it. <laughs> say you've been able to do it or even just to like know what the things are in it but if we're going to use the Bible as the means of knowing our God who is revealing himself to us we kind of need something supernatural to take place in that I think the Spirit's actually capable of not just helping us know the things in the text but knowing the heart of the God who's in that text. Because the truth is, if we're going to use Scripture the ways that we tend to use it, outside of that, to know the right things, to be better, I think that's where, like like Cole said (laughs) last week, that's where we're going to lose hope. That's where despair is going to come in. Because we aren't going to measure up. We can't possibly do all the things the right way every time we're not going to meet our expectations we're certainly not going to meet the expectations of others and we're not going to meet God's it's why Christ had to come and die and raise again because he knew that we weren't going to measure it. but if we're asking the spirit to, to help change our hearts saying spirit I, I need you to change my heart on the things that I'm doubting about who you are, about who you said that I am. That's where change is going to happen. And Charles Spurgeon kind of talks towards us about if we being careful about approaching Scripture the wrong way and what happens when you're kind of clouded with despair, when you're clouded with hopelessness, because of how you've been interacting with the scripture. He says this. He says, How many a precious text have you and I read again and again without perceiving its joyful meaning because our minds have been clouded with despondency? It's another way of saying despair. We take the telescope and try to look into heavenly things. and We breathe upon the glass with the hot breath of our anxiety until we cannot see anything. And then we conclude that there is nothing to be seen. Do you not think, beloved, that you are depressed and sorrowing today, that if you thought more of the promises revealed in God's word, you would soon see things differently and would rise out of your downcast condition? If you thought more about the promises revealed in God's word, Would you soon see things differently? I love that... that sentence. (laughs) That if we actually went to Scripture to remember God's promises that He's wanting to reveal to us instead of going to it as, like, fix... I'm reading this so I can fix this thing about myself that I don't like what I'm seeing. Or because someone once said in a sermon like this is what I'm supposed to do (laughs) or how I'm supposed to live but if we actually focused on what God is trying to tell us in scripture about who he is then maybe that would change who we are when we see that when we see the word as this act of grace and love towards us and God revealing himself to us as I said most perfectly seen in Jesus, in his life, his example. And we trust that the Spirit is capable of this, then by his power, we are going to be able to see it rightly and to begin to walk the path of glory. So let me end with this. In those last couple of verses, we get kind of a stripped-down version of the ascension. So he says, And he led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. If you're struggling to believe that it's possible to change, to whatever doubts you have, they can be dealt with. That the Spirit can actually change your heart towards embracing Jesus as our example, even when that kind of sucks. Remember that He's blessed you. You know, we say that we bless people but we're a lot more limited in our blessing than God is and sometimes we don't even really mean it we say things we have wishful thinking God doesn't have wishful thinking God has I am who I am I do (laughs) what I say that's it the God of the universe Christ has said that I'm blessing you You know, what are his last words in this story in Matthew? What was his blessing there? He gives the Great Commission to go and preach, baptize, repent, and believe in all nations. But then he says his last words, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus knows our doubts but he hasn't left us alone anymore. a lot of us have scars and those scars carry doubts but remember Jesus has scars too Maybe in a season of, of lacking of lacking a commitment or desire to be in his word maybe your prayer life is almost non-existent maybe there's things you have those things going on because you're uh, better at routines than I am <laughs> but maybe your heart's in the wrong place Maybe you just lack the confidence in knowing where to start engaging with the word wherever you're at, whatever is going on, Jesus is waiting to be gracious to you he's waiting to show you his scars he says, "I know that you doubt, but I'm here to help you believe he's more patient than we understand him to be and the spirit is more capable of helping us change than we can imagine or ask. And let me leave you with this. The truth is, as so we kind of look and we we end this gospel with Christ leaving to be at the right hand of the Father. He leaves us his spirit There is going to be a day where we no longer have to look up, but we'll be looking face to face. That we, like the disciples, like (laughs) doubting Thomas, will see his scars for ourselves. And that's when we know that our path to glory has arrived. So we actually made it to glory. It wasn't based on our success. It wasn't based on us doing the right things, being the right kind of person. It was based on his suffering, his death, his work, and his spirit being with us always until the end of the age. So until then, we look onward. Knowing that the Spirit is leading the way down that path to glory. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your words, your promises, your truth. That you tell us in Isaiah that we, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us through our own ways. There's so many ways where we are, like we were saying this morning, prone to wander. But you are a good shepherd who brings us back into the fold. So this morning, Jesus, we pray that you, that your presence would be felt, would be known. As we're about to, about to sing, that we would recognize that you are around us. That you're going before us. That you are following after us we go down the wrong path that you are with us always help us remember that that whatever doubts we have about who you are what you're capable of wherever we're at and our level of embracing your life as a model for ours however well we do or don't rely on your spirit Jesus help us to remember that you are slow to anger Enrich in love, and it's because of that that we can say thank you and that we love you, Jesus. And it's in your name and by your work we can pray. Amen.